Walter Balbert and Tuna Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest in this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly Monday appearance. His weekly Monday appearance is the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest. On this edition of the program, as he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball. Of particular note, this week, 10 minutes, roughly 10 minutes, no fewer, I would say, than 10 minutes on the subject of Toronto Blue Jays first baseman, outfielder, and perhaps second baseman, Stephen Pierce. An innocent question about Pierce leads not only to his role with the Toronto Blue Jays, but also a greater conversation about expectations of second baseman in the era of shifting. The expectations are lower, is the point. The expectations of catchers, meanwhile, defensively at least, are probably higher. Something revealed, perhaps, by Travis Sawchick's installment of the positional player rankings that he published on Monday for catchers. As greater emphasis has been placed, perhaps, on receiving, we find very possibly an equal and opposite decline in offensive skills at the position. Dave Cameron addresses that as well. Also, the Baltimore outfield situation, why that club might have signed Pedro Alvarez to play outfield despite the presence of Hun Tzu Kim. And uh, for reasons that remain unclear, Dave Cameron details the exercise regimen of Fangraphs contributor Travis Sochik. Fangraphs writers are notorious for being swole, so I think Travis probably just went and dominated the squat rack. And uh, once he got his pump, he wanted to tell everyone about it. All those meaningless words to follow, but let me first remind listeners... The Fangraphs membership exists. Have you ever wanted to show your support for Fangraphs but were unsure how to do so? Consider Fangraphs membership. And consider even harder the possibility of an ad-free yearly membership. For a reasonable amount of cash money, readers can not only enjoy Fangraphs.com without the burdens of banner advertisements, but also experience faster loading speeds. Fast, fast, fast loading speeds on your computer.com. It's Fangraph's ad-free yearly membership to Fangraphs.com. All right, with that, let us now get to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraph's audio. Who does it feature? Big old managing editor of Fangraph's, Dave Cameron. And when does it begin? Right now. rawhide stick yeah and then to to sort of occupy her uh-huh. and then and she's she's fine with it but then if i walk near her after i've given her the rawhide stick she grabs it and Run furtively yeah. runs away yeah yeah as if i'm going to steal it from her. yeah right but i'm the one who just gave it to her right but she doesn't you're not coming with another one so. no that's a good point yeah i guess like she she doesn't figure the deal can get any better for right, her. Right, exactly. At this point, you're only representing a loss. So is that the is that the economic rationale for that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's the... Uh, yeah, I think human beings would probably look at it the same way. It's like, even if you did this nice thing for me, uh, I am... Like, so say, you're, you know, your boss sends you a paycheck every couple of weeks, right? So your boss is, like, doing this good thing for you by depositing money in your bank account. But then if your boss is like, hey... Come into my office. You're not like, oh, I bet this is another paycheck. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Every time Apple – and uh, we should say David Appleman is a very uh, s- uh, sweet, reasonable person. But I, I will say every time he calls, I'm like, hmm, what does this guy want? What is this guy – why is this guy calling? Yeah. Usually if your boss calls, it's not it's not great. You don't really – yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't want – I mean, if you're getting the money, I suppose you could be calling with compliments, but those don't – 
Those don't put food on the table, Dave Cameron. Right. Also, he shouldn't be complimenting you. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Let's. Hey, Dave. Let's be honest, please. Okay. Let's be honest. uh, Here, uh, I'm going to start it off with a quiz. Uh, Today, Travis Sachek wrote in a post. He wrote the sentence, "That's a lot of squatting." (laughs) Was he? um, Was uh, Trevor Sachek? Travis. Yeah, right. That's a good point. <laughs> unless, unless he enlisted his unknown brother to do the seven thousand word opus for him. Was tra- <laughs> like, I don't. I don't want to do this crap. Hey, Trevor. Was Travis? Was Travis Sachek? Uh, was he writing about um, the workload of a popular major league catcher, or was he recounting, um, or, or was he chronicling um, uh, his tri- one of his trips on br- abroad when he got food poisoning? Oh, I was thinking more of like he was chronicling his trips to the gym because you know Fangraphs writers are notorious for being swole and, uh, and yeah. for being bros, and, uh-huh. and uh, so I think Travis probably just went and dominated in the squat rack, and uh, once he got his pump, he wanted to tell everyone about it. Where are you getting this this <laughs> this vocabulary? <laughs> so yesterday, the Blue Jays uh, there was an article about the Blue Jays uh, high performance uh, department, and they talked to Steve Pierce, who's very much a bro, and actually mm-hmm. used the word. Uh, where's my pump in reverse? Because they asked him to do like body weight exercises instead of just deadlifts and squats and you know like heavyweight exercises. And he said he thinks it's actually going to be a lot better for him. But you can get the sense that like Steve Pierce really likes to like you know lift heavy things. And now they're like, hey, why don't you focus on flexibility and not being injured all the time? Well, let's do let's because uh, the, the Steve Pierce has been on not not for like days straight on my mind but i have had occasion to think about him periodically over the past week or two <coughs> when i was trying to i guess understand what his role is going to be with the blue jays so what is it well we don't know for sure so they've talked about maybe having him be like uh, a first baseman left fielder combo where he would uh play first base against left-handed pitching because justin smoke is bad um, I mean, Justin Smoke is just bad in general. They should just have him play first base all the time. But if, if they want to play Justin Smoke, they'll platoon, and then and Pierce would probably play uh, left field against some right-handers. Um, we don't know the quality of his arm right now because he had off-season arm surgery, and he apparently can't throw very well. But they're saying he might be able to play the outfield. Uh, it's also possible he plays some second base because he's done that before. And they have Devin Travis, who's not ready for opening day, and then they have Ryan Goins, who can't hit. So uh, he's kind of like a utility first base, outfield second base, which you don't see a lot. Uh, no. I would be I would be surprised if he didn't end up just playing mostly at first base because Justin Smoke is garbage. Oh, well, that's not that's not very nice. I, I mean, he. Um, well, you, you you and I perpetually have a disagreement on this. I think that every major leaguer is fantastic, and you. You, you sometimes will f- phrase comments in harsher terms. I, I think it's all about the baseline you use, right? So yeah. you can say that every major leaguer is fantastic relative to the population of human beings. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. I think Justin Smoke is garbage relative to the population of major league first baseman. All right. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, he hasn't done really well. Uh, the, uh, that's, yeah, it is a strange. Although maybe a second baseman who plays – other positions, in particular positions further down the defensive spectrum, is it maybe, is it maybe, could it become more common? I know that uh, Eric Longenig has dwelled on this point to some degree, is that as teams become a little bit more sophisticated with their shifting, yeah. and my, um, he, 
he suggests, and it seems reasonable, that it, that clubs might be able to hide worse defenders at what have previously been considered um, more premium defensive positions. Right. I don't think there's any question that's happened. So if you look at, like, second base just had the best offensive season in the history of baseball for second basemen. Uh, and I think that it's pretty clear that the offense-defense profile is changing in terms of what teams are willing to sacrifice offensively to get a good glove guy at second base because with all the shifting you're doing now, a lot of the plays that previously would have been like the most difficult opportunities are rockets from left-handers into the hole. Well, now we just have the third baseman standing in short right field. He makes an easy play and the second baseman's not even involved. So um, I think range at second base has been significantly diminished. And now if you have decent enough hands and you can turn a double play and you can feel balls mostly hit to you and you can run a 350 Woba, then, you know, congratulations, you're Daniel Murphy. Like, no one thinks Daniel Murphy's a great defensive second baseman, uh, and people have been trying to move him off the position for 10 years. But Daniel Murphy now, at, what, 33 or whatever he is, is still one of the better second basemen in baseball. Well, you, now you said the, the range has been diminished at second base. Am, am I right in thinking that maybe more accurately, the, the, the team's desire for range at second base has been diminished? Sure. So yes, right. So the demand for range has been diminished. So now the profile of the player that you're willing to play at second base is different because maybe ten years ago you wanted Ryan Goins there in order to get to all the balls hit into the you know uh, up the middle that the shortstop can't get to, or the balls hit to his right that are going to go into right field, uh, or I guess that would be hit to his left. so you wanted a you know a better glove player there. Um, traditionally, it's been considered an up the middle position, but because of all the shifting now, I would say second base is probably no more important and maybe even less important defensively than third base. And teams have been willing to stick like Pedro Alvarez at third base before. Um, and I think no, not that you're going to see Pedro Alvarez play second base, but uh, I think like you know guys like Steve Pierce getting playing time there um, uh, is indicative of like the changing idea of what a second baseman looks like. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I I don't know. Uh, so t- typically, right, if you were to characterize the positions, a, a th- the third baseman is the sort with maybe less um, lateral mobility, but still decent hands, and and on, on offense probably uh, more power. Whereas the second baseman has kind of been like a shortstop light defensively. Yeah, so I think, like, basically what has happened, and I think I wrote a riddle about this a few years ago, is that um, second baseman and third baseman are both generally shortstops who couldn't cut it at shortstop, or were determined to not have the physical skills to be able to play shortstops. Tall players with good arms went to third base, short mm-hmm. players with bad arms went to second base. That's basically the sorting mechanism. And so generally, because you're choosing tall for third base and short for second base, then you end up with better hitters at third base because, in general, taller players are better hitters. I mean, there's a limit to that. If you're seven foot three, your strike zone's huge, and you're probably going to be not good. But six foot three guys generally hit better than five foot seven guys. So just by the the height um, bias that kind of sent tall players to third and short players to second, the offensive profile at third base has been higher. But I think that, especially now with shifting, uh, that has changed to some degree where you might even prefer a more athletic third baseman, especially if he's going to be moving into short right field sometimes and being asked to make some of those plays and, you know, be able to um, defend multiple positions where the second baseman uh, perhaps is not needed to be as much of an athlete. Perhaps the sorting mechanism now will be based more just to primarily on arm strength um, or potentially just say, okay, uh, I don't actually have a huge preference, and so it's just going to be based on, you know, which guy has slightly better footwork in terms of coming in on the ball than that guy goes plays third base, or which guy has better footwork in terms of turning a double play, or, you know, fielding a caught stealing. Those are the kinds of things that might um, be more sorters in the future than just height. Well, serving as the pivot in a double play 
must be the most demanding uh, the, mo- the most demanding thing that's asked of a second baseman, right? I mean, I don't know about most demanding. I mean, you know, getting to balls up the middle is probably still the most demanding from an athletic okay, perspective, right? right? Well, I, well, I don't, agree. I don't necessarily agree, but I can be convinced otherwise. What, so why would you think that, like, so being the the pivot play where you have to go receive yeah. the ball from third or short and then spin to first base or throw to first base, it's not, it's not a tremendously athletic move. It it requires some like good footwork, but I don't know that you have to be a really good athlete to be able to stand on the bag, catch the ball, and then throw. Yeah, well, perhaps though, it's not necessarily that action <coughs> in and of itself, but it's also with the knowledge that. A runner is bearing down on you as the second baseman in that case, and therefore you are attempting to evade the runner at the same time. Right. That's That was probably more true before they changed the rule of second base, right? So now the runner can't run you over and break your leg anymore. So, and actually, so, so maybe is it possible that that rule change might expedite the introduction of uh, larger players or maybe less... Uh, less defensively gifted players to second base? It's possible. I mean, I think the shift probably has more to do with it, but I think the fact that now you're not going to have guys barreling into the players means that you don't necessarily need to have an acrobatic second baseman who can jump out of the way means maybe you're willing more to go with a, you know, a Neil Walker or a Daniel Murphy or one of these guys who's not, you know, necessarily your classic second base athlete. You know, I suppose you could also make, <coughs> not that anyone really ever has, but you could make the the opposite argument too, where it's like, if you imagine some of the the more physically imposing third baseman of baseball past, like I'm thinking like Troy Glouse, for example, right? right? Yeah. He's a big guy. Yeah. And if he was the one churning churning the double play at second base and someone tried to run him over, like he, wouldn't, he might have his way with whoever was doing that. That's right. You slide into Troy Glouse's knee. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't have any teeth anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. Whereas, like, if you have, you know, some of the smaller players, like, I don't think Roberto Alomar was very big, was he? Right. No. And he was sort of like the, like, he was sort of like the platonic ideal of a second baseman when he was playing. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And so maybe, maybe for him, like, you know, maybe a smaller player is, you know, <laughs> I mean, Pedroia, it doesn't Pedroia now in the, yeah. in the modern day. It, it it behooves him to get out of the way. Whereas if you had a, a bigger guy, he could stand his ground more. Maybe the Orioles should try Pedro Alvarez at second base. <clears throat> what, what's the problem? The problem with Alvarez was, wasn't really his glove, though, right? It's it was his throwing. Glove. Yeah, he can't throw. Is well, there any su- he can't throw in a direction that he can control. He can throw it hard. Yeah, he just has no idea where it's going. And and now you wrote about him playing. So this is not about catchers at all, but this is a line of inquiry that continues to interest me. Uh, you wrote about the possibility of Pedro Alvarez playing a corner outfield spot for the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. Uh, given his arm, he uh, and generally speaking, his defensive acumen. Of course, he he played a serviceable third base for some time. Right. He seems like he wouldn't. It would not necessarily be. A, uh, preposterous for him to play an outfield corner. Uh, however, I suppose range was never really his strength. Right. I mean, I, I think that, like, there's a chance that Alvarez could be just a not great defender. It's just a kind of like disaster. Like I don't, I don't think we should look at Pedro Alvarez and be like, oh, he's going to be Hanley Ramirez out there, or Manny Ramirez, or any of the Ramirez's who couldn't play left field in Fenway. Um, but I think like. When you're the Orioles and your roster is already full of Hunsu Kim and Seth Smith and Mark Trumbo, the last thing you needed was another, well, maybe he won't be horrible, Hope. What is the, 
so, so your article that you wrote, uh, the article you wrote last week about Pedro Alvarez, for me was actually mostly <coughs> an article about Hyun Soo Kim. Yeah. Um, in in which is not that sh- surprising, I suppose, because the the signing of Pedro Alvarez and the fact that there's no immediately obvious place to put him uh, does <laughs> does raise the possibility, especially if you know that Mark Trumbo is playing in the outfield. And you know that Adam Jones is playing in the outfield. It really raises the question that, or raises the possibility that Baltimore still does not particularly care for Hyun Soo Kim. Yeah, but I think that's pretty obviously true. Um, no, they like, just that listen. They just signed him before last year, and almost immediately they showed no interest in giving him playing time. Yeah, they got really tarnished. His, their view of him was really tarnished by his terrible spring training last year, and I think this is something that they probably just need to recognize. It's like an internal bias. Is like they put way too much weight on his March performance, and to that point, like Joe Walter basically wouldn't play him in April, uh, even though he was on the roster, and they tried to trade him, and no one wanted him, and like they didn't, you know, they asked if he'd go to the minors, and he said no because he had a major league contract. And they didn't want him on the team, and then he hit like 320, like 400 on base percentage. He had like a really good year. And he, what, I think Buck Shoulder gave him like 20 at bats against left handers all year. Um, like, it's pretty clear that they're not huge fans of his. Yeah, I get, which, well, it, which is or, weird because they're still his employer. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that is strange. Yeah. Although I'm familiar with some employers who are not always big fans of their employees. Right. Like our employer, David <laughs> Appleman. Um, the, so the, here's, it, it definitely seems to suggest a disconnect between the front office and the field staff, right? Not necessarily. You, you don't think so? You think it's a it's, – it's, I think it's that a, they signed him on a um, let's hope he's good and then they saw him themselves and they said meh. Well, I don't know. It, is it reasonable to think meh about Hyun Soo Kim after watching him for 350 plate appearances during the regular season? I mean, so, maybe, so like, obviously, offensively, he was pretty good last year. I do think that, like, if he's as bad defensively as the one season or half a season or whatever of defensive metrics suggest, which had him, like, not a very good defensive outfielder, and he doesn't have a lot of power, um, where you're basically, like, you have a, you know, slap hitter who controls the strike zone and isn't a very good fielder, that's not historically a type of player that has been well-received in Major League Baseball. It's like, like it's Nori Aoki, right? Like, it's a very similar kind of player who's not considered a good defender, doesn't have a lot of power, and Nori Aoki keeps getting waived or, you know, released or something, and he's just been signed for four or five million dollars for, like, six years in a row, even though every year Nori Aoki goes up and puts up a two-war season, um... And so I think this kind of combination of skills isn't something that a lot of teams are looking for. Generally, if you don't have power, they want you to play defense and run. And so, if you, so there's, I would say this is a little bit of a unique skill set, and the Orioles don't seem to be an organization that values unique skill sets. They value hitting the ball a long way. Uh, two comments. One is uh, the catch probability system that was offered, or that was um, introduced, was it last week or the week before, by... Yeah. Um, by Statcast, MLB.com, Advanced, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> advanced, really, whatever. That is the name of the MLB.com, Advanced, whatever. <laughs> um, MLB yeah. um, um, The so they um, for every essentially what what they did was to um, to publish the catch the con- the conversions the conversions on opportunities for every catch. That was caught less than ninety, less than ninety five percent of the time in, um, for major league outfielders. Right, that was tracked by Statcast, which isn't every play. Which isn't every play, yeah. uh, and so the top of this list is are names that are not shocking: Kevin Kiermaier, um, 
Bill Malik Hamilton. Smith, Travis Jankowski, Billy Hamilton. They're all very good. Gerard Dyson, yeah. right? Um, at the bottom of this list is Mark Trumbo. The ver- I mean, he, the he really occupies yeah. he, he occupies a special place yeah. <laughs> on it. Yeah. But uh, not too far above him is is uh, Hyun Soo Kim. Yeah. Um, I, so I will say, like Mike Petriello did on Twitter, that like um, this is kind of a beta test of catch probability, uh, and they do not yet uh, account for balls that hit the wall, which is a problem, and uh, it's something that they are working on fixing. And they said once you account for wall balls, uh, Trumbo looks a little bit better. He's still terrible, but he's not quite as terrible as the current numbers make him look. Right. Although I suppose that could mean that he, he hit the wall because he didn't get in front of the wall in sufficient time. Right. I mean, so it's possible that a more rangy outfielder would have caught the ball to hit the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, you know, I think there are, especially in parks that have, like, tall walls, where it's like mm-hmm. the wall is, you know, 20 feet higher, 15 feet higher or something. There's not much you can do if it hits way above your head. And it's possible that, like, Trumbo was playing, you know, left field in Boston a couple games, and he just had a couple green monster balls hit against him. Would you... Uh, so we've taken to, we've had the occasion uh, in uh, recent episodes to make a bet occasionally. Yeah. Uh, would you you're, make a you're bet with lose me? So many things. Yeah, I know. I didn't record the most recent one with you, but I will, <coughs> I will make sure to record this one. I'll begin making a a spreadsheet and expel a spreadsheet. Would you make a bet with me? Uh, I I believe that Yun Tzu Kim will produce more wins uh, on a rate basis this this year. Say per 600 plate appearances than Mark Trumbo. So I don't know if I'm willing to bet against Tunsu Kim's rate bases because they're going to be heavily biased, right? So like he's only going to play against right-handers, so that helps. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much he's going to play, especially if uh, Alvarez comes up at some point and takes his job. So if he only gets like 200 plate appearances and like 195 of them are against right-handers, his numbers might look pretty decent. And if you're just like, well, let's extrapolate those to 600 plate appearances, he'd be a good player. But um, uh, it doesn't really work that way because then he would have to play against lefties, and uh, he probably wouldn't be. All right, so it. you're not going to make the bet, but uh, wait, wait, and I and I see the reason why. I would, I would do it for overall war, except I don't. I'm, I'm skeptical of Baltimore giving him sufficient playing time. Right. I mean, it seems like he's not their kind of player, and now they have several of their kind of player in Pedro Alvarez, Mark Trumbo, and Seth Smith, and so it seems like Kim is at least has a chance to be the odd man out here if he's hitting 220 in April. What's the difference between the Baltimore Orioles kind of player right now and the Seattle Mariners kind of player five years ago? Not much. Uh, <laughs> and actually, Mark Trumbo is... Yeah, Mark Trumbo is the platonic ideal for both of these games. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I think this, the Mariners tried this. It didn't work. Good luck to the Orioles. Yeah, I, well, in, the Orioles, I suppose, have uh, what supported by having a, a couple of like legitimate... Well, I mean, the Mariners obviously had some talent, too. But if you have Manny Machado on your team, that's a good start. That helps, yeah. And he's not really this kind of player. He's No, yeah, Machado's a wildly different kind of player. Right, yeah. I mean, he is a, a wildly athletic... I mean, he's basically good at everything at this point. Yeah, yeah. And, he's, and he and he's, remains young. And then um, they also have uh, supported with a crazy bullpen as well. Yeah, I mean, the Orioles like to point out that like they have more wins than any other team in the American League in the last five years, so obviously we're doing something right. Um, you know... I don't think this is one of the things they're doing right. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, they'll probably look back on the idea of, like, let's try Trumbo, Smith, Alvarez, Kim as our corner outfield quartet behind a really bad pitch-to-contact pitching staff as a decision they regret. Let me ask you some questions about catchers now. We started the positional power rankings today. Uh, Travis, and not Trevor Sachek, yeah. uh, wrote the – he did not write the introductory post. He wrote the introductory post. He wrote the first – he covered the first position, which is catchers. 
he notes he notes with regard to Sal Perez, uh, Royals catcher Sal Perez, that uh, he I mean he notes in particular that Perez, typically speaking, has been uh, rather good um, over in the first half of seasons and less good to bad in the second half of seasons. Right. He also notes that Perez uh, leads baseball in innings caught since 2013 uh, by a wide margin. And he suggests, and he suggested this in an earlier post as well, that there is probably more than a simple correlation between the two, that there is, in fact, perhaps causation. Do you believe, Dave Cameron, that there is causation? And do you believe that the Royals have biffed it by not addressing this? So, yes and no, sort of. Uh, I do believe there's causation. Uh, I think that the... There's pretty clear uh, playing time threshold, which every other catcher in baseball seems to be comfortable with, except for Yadier Molina, who also does this. Um, but everyone else in baseball basically says, hey, we need days off, otherwise we're going to get run into the ground. Um, so I think our like Bayesian priors should be that like if you play more than the norm, it's probably going to have some physical impact on you. Otherwise, everyone else would play more than they currently do. Um, so I do think there's probably some causation. Not that we can say definitively that there is or how much or, you know... Um, we can. I don't know that we can quantify it perfectly, but I think we can say it's likely these two things are related. Um, but for the Royals having biffed it, I don't know because uh, they you, won a World Series. So well, I, mean, I, mean, I, I think that's a cop out, right? Like they, they. I mean, every team who wins the World Series gets lucky. Um, I don't think that their Salvador Perez handling gets any better if the Astros don't blow out with a seven three lead in the seventh inning or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you look at it and say. Could they have gotten more second half production from him if they gave him more offense in the first half? Probably. Would that second half production offset the fact that they had to play him less in the first half? I don't know. Like, now you're playing Drew Butera 30 more times than you did before, and Drew Butera is bad. Right, so, but they could also, they could have signed someone better than Drew Butera, right? Not necessarily. I mean, if you're, um, a competent major league catcher, do you want to be the backup to Salvador Perez? Well, that's a good point. So, That's a good point I because mean, Perez plays so many. He plays right. so many and, games. And like you know, this is a guy who wants to play every day and has you know, like he's clearly going to play you know 120 plus games a year. So you're playing 40. Like I don't I don't know what kind of catcher is going to sign up for that unless they just don't have any other options uh, or if they're not good. And so I think the Royals, because of the quality of their catcher or the starting catcher, it's difficult unless you internally develop another one to have a secondary good option. Um, and so, you know, if you're going to say, okay, I'm going to play Drew Batera 20 more games or 30 more games than I did over the course of the season so that Perez is better in September and October, um, that's fine, but maybe you don't make it to October because you played Drew Batera 20 more times and you ended up losing more games, and then you, you miss out on the wild card. Do you think there's any possibility that um, a major league team might adopt uh, the same sort of strategy that NFL teams have over the last you know decade or so with regard to running backs? You know, it used to be the case was a team had basically a running back. Right. And they ran him until, you know, for however many years, until he was essentially a broken human. Right. And then they just got rid of him. Uh, and then it became, and it has become more popular to have sort of um, a two-headed monster or or to employ even three or four running backs and keeping them all fresh. And you, you can, um, you know, you, at that point, too, you can hire – Guys with different profiles, so that you can use them in different in different count, you know, um, downs and yard situations. Is there is there any 
Is there any, would there have been any reason to pursue that sort of line of usage in baseball? So I think it makes sense um, from a theoretical perspective, but it, like if we look at Travis's you know list of the thirty teams catching positions, I don't know that you can look through there and be like, look at all these good catchers that could handle more playing time, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, the catching position is kind of garbage right now. I guess that's my word of the day, uh, but. I mean, there's not a lot of talent in this spot. Like, Stephen Vogt in the A's ranked sixth uh, on our list. Does anyone think, like, Stephen Vogt is, like, a high-end Hall of Fame catcher? No. This is, like, this is now a top-tier catching position in Major League Baseball, and there are a lot of teams who just don't have anything, really. And so I don't know that there's 50 or 60, you know, high-quality Major League catchers who can both, you know, handle a pitching staff and do all the things you want them to do defensively and hit at a reasonable level. And so if you're going to get into a job share situation where you're giving 60 guys, uh, you know, 80 games apiece, you need 60 Major League catchers, and I don't know that we have that. I've been talking, of course, with Eric and we, we occasionally come across the topic <coughs> of catcher development, right? Yeah. And it's... It, it's difficult with catchers um, for a number of reasons. One, if 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 you take an example like Bryce Harper, for example, right? Bryce Harper caught in college, uh, but he was probably never going to catch in the majors because the bat was so advanced. Right. If you have to wait for him to become a defensively capable catcher, right. he's going to be in the minor leagues for a while. Yeah. And you will, and you as the Washington Nationals will not be benefiting from his offensive skills, which are absolutely strong enough for basically any position on the field. Right. Uh, and this has happened before, too. I think, like, Carlos Delgado was an example yep. from our respective youths. Yep. Um, so on the one hand, you have that going on. Um, and on the other hand, you have a situation where where a guy might be a fringe catching candidate. He might be good uh, – he might be talented offensively for that position, but maybe the bat does not play elsewhere. And this is also a difficult area for ca- for evaluation as well, because you say, well, yeah, if he if he remains at catcher, then he'll be fine. <laughs> However, if we have to move this guy off catcher, the only place he's going is first base. Right. This so, uh, it seems to tie into Eric Longenhagen's prospect list today, which happens to be the Baltimore Orioles, because we're just going to talk about the Orioles all, a lot. And what I think Chance Sisko was written about this way, which he's their top prospect, right. where Eric was like, the bat's good, but not great because there's not a lot of power there. And the arm isn't very good behind the plate. And if he has to move, does the bat play anywhere else? Uh, what do you do with this guy who might be an underpowered corner guy who's probably not going to be a great defensive asset at first base or the corner outfield and not have a lot of power? But if you leave him behind the plate, maybe you give up, you know, 85% steals. Like, this is a problem, especially when this is your top prospect. So do you think that there's – if there has been any evolution with the way catchers are evaluated or the expectations that are placed upon them – do you think that in any way has influenced the uh, the sort of present state of catchers, which, as you note, uh, does not necessarily possess uh, or offer a lot of depth? Yeah, maybe. I mean, a few years ago, kind of before public pitch framing metrics really gained hold and a lot of teams started to put a little more emphasis on this, Ryan Dubit was getting a lot of playing time behind the plate because he could hit some and uh, then, like, you know, Mike Fast and some other people showed that, like, Ryan Newman is costing you, like, 40 runs a year behind the plate with his glove, and there's no way he hits well enough to be uh, worth playing at that rate. So the non-Ryan Newman was very quickly out of baseball, and no one is 
trying to rush another Ryan Newman in there. I mean, I think, you know, harkening back to the Mariners, they tried this with Jesus Montero. Um, and, you know, like there have been experiments to like just stick a bat first guy back there. Uh, but generally they don't work. <laughs> so uh, I do think that teams have probably become more reluctant to do that kind of uh, experiment. And so now you have uh, a smaller pool of players to pick from as possible catchers. Yeah. You know, it's, it, this happens watching college baseball, you know, because college baseball there are a number of teams that have an offense first catcher or, or you know, I mean, he's, maybe he's fine defensively for college, but it, it, you know, it can be pretty clear that he's not necessarily going to remain there at the major league level. Right. And it is, it is interesting. You're like, oh, look at all these teams with, uh, you know, strong offensive, um, offensive catchers. But obviously they're not, uh, they're not making the, it's not translating to the professional game as well. Yeah. I think being a major league catcher is hard. Yeah, it seems really hard. Yeah, and, I, and so I don't know if if that means the teams are going to make other exceptions. I suppose the problem is that if you if you begin requiring less from your catcher, in particular as a receiver, then you're not really then you're not merely messing with your catcher spot. You're also messing with your entire pitching staff at that right, point, yeah, and all of your run prevention. So, so maybe maybe to your point, maybe you, you look up and down this list here. And you say, well, it's not necessarily a golden era for catchers, but maybe, but maybe if, uh, but you know, maybe there's a lot of run prevention going on here that's not captured in a, in a way that's you know that immediately, uh, cap immediately captured by wins above replacement. Yeah, I mean, it's I think the tightening of the spread in terms of framing or receiving or whatever you want to call it. Um, has probably led to lower offensive levels from catchers right now, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like um, catchers aren't providing value. It's just that every team has kind of uh, cr- you know condensed the spread uh, so that they don't look that much better relative to each other. But if we compared like this group to a bunch of Ryan Dumitz and Jose Monteros, this group is probably better. Uh, last thing uh, about which I'll ask you before you are uh, liberated from your from your ter- terrible obligation here. <clears throat> the now the Padres on 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 the uh, catcher positional rankings here are they they placed nineteenth. However, they problem, which is good for them, yeah. and also probably more than most clubs, they probably have more upside yeah. uh, or greater variation because Austin Hedges is uh, ap- appears likely to receive the bulk of playing time. Austin Hedges his projections. Are based off of, you know, how, however, Steam and Steamer and Zips um, incorporate past statistics, but it's you know usually three to five years of data. And um, Austin Hedges' offensive season last year was unlike anything he'd really done before that. Right. It appears as though it's the product of, uh, and this will not be a surprise. It's the product of uh, changing the you know the. Um, uh, his his bat path, his swing plane, yeah, to produce more fly balls, to tap into some power, and that's what the numbers suggest. Certainly, uh, he he hit, uh, he produced almost a 300 ISO in AAA last year. Obviously, that's the Pacific Coast League, so uh, one it needs to adjust it. But he showed unprecedented power. Right. Uh, is this just a thing that any batter can do now at this point? Is just uh, to make a conscious effort. To you know, work with a private swing coach to change the bat path, stay on plane with the ball, hit more fly balls, and then become a league leading hitter. <clears throat> so I don't think anyone can do this, right? Like I think that there is a minimum level of um, 
hard contact you have to be able to make in order to uh, translate this into success. Like, if Billy Hamilton started trying to hit fly balls and, like, lift the ball all the time for power, it's probably a bad plan. Because Billy Hamilton, his average exit velocity last year was, like, 82 miles an hour or something. Like, Billy Hamilton doesn't hit the ball hard. <laughs> ben Revere doesn't hit the ball hard. And some of these guys, like, there are players in baseball who can try and swing the fences all they want, and they're just going to fly out. So, I think they're, this change can work, provided you have the other required uh, necessities <laughs> that you need to be able to hit the ball. Like, Jose Altuve is probably a good example, right? Like, Jose Altuve is a small guy, uh, the smallest guy in baseball. And generally, you'd be like, well... The shortest guy, the shortest guy in baseball. Yeah, As Eric Longenhagen would force you to... No, yes, he's right. not necessarily the smallest. Right, sure. The shortest guy in baseball. Um, and so this is a guy you'd potentially say, well, he's 5'5", five, five, he doesn't have any power, but all through the minors, Jose Altuve hit the crap out of the ball. Like, this is what thing that Jose Altuve was known for. It was just, like, hard line drive contact all over the field. Uh, so I think that's the kind of guy where you could say, okay, if Altuve lifts his launch angle and starts hitting from the fences, like, the fact that he's already making solid contact means that maybe he can make solid contact that can go 350 feet. Versus... A guy who was really just slapping, like, you know, uh, punch and judying the ball and, and, you know, trying to um, hit it the other way or something. Like, there's a, a limit to uh, the effectiveness of fly ball if you're not making solid contact. So you think there's probably a, a, <coughs> a, a, a sort of general threshold of, say, exit velocity ab- above or below which this, this approach would not work? Yeah, and I don't know exactly where it is, but I think... Um, we should be careful when we just be like, everyone should start swinging up because uh, that's probably not a great idea. Okay, Dave Cameron, you have fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. Hooray. All right, and you did it without coughing too much. Yeah, I'm going to go take a throat lozenge. Yeah, probably good. That has been, uh, well, so l- let me say thank you, Dave Cameron. You're welcome. That has been Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>